Hey everyone, welcome back to episode eight of the Attitude Check Business Leadership Podcast. Today we have another man with an impeccable beard, Forrest Senti. Forrest is the Director of Business and Government Initiatives at the National Cybersecurity Center. He is helping to develop the National Cybersecurity Center into a nonprofit that is well known all around the country. On top of that, he's also very connected within the Colorado Springs community. He is someone that has hustled. He's also someone that has taken the path of, I have no idea what the heck I'm gonna do. And he has become someone who influences his community and truly moves it forward through learning from his failures and learning from mentors. You know, Brent, it was really funny when Forrest walked into the room. And for our audience, Forrest is this guy who is six foot five. He's well built. He's just a big guy. Brent was literally half his size. You're what, four foot eight? You know, I'm closer to four foot eight and a half, four foot nine, where I'm wearing my big boy shoes. But when you have a guy whose name is Forrest, what can you expect? He's a, a man of large stature, so to speak. But what else would you expect when you have a man who's had so many different successes in their own business career? Without further ado, let's jump into this episode of Attitude Check with Forrest Senti. Endeavor to challenge yourself every single day. Engage with your community. Effect change and produce impact. I'm John Mark Radspinner. And I'm Brent Sabati. And this is the Attitude Check Business Leadership Podcast. We have the conversations that young professionals should be having, but aren't. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Uh, we are so excited to have Forrest Senti here. Forrest, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Again, my name is Forrest Senti, and um, my title, I guess, is the Director of Business and Government Initiatives at the National Cybersecurity Center. I got my degree in UCCS uh, in business marketing. I've worked in a few different companies from Nowhere Development Group to Mountain Equipment Recyclers. Worked on my own teams from Maxletics and Peak Social Insights, as well as having with other startups. Uh, worked with Peak Startup. I guess that's my, my quick and easy. Take us a little bit deeper into your personal life. So you've kind of had a gap in between college as well as what you've done mm -hmm. up until now. So you've got a whole bunch of different things that you've done. Sure. You've gone through periods where you said you were working 80 hours a week, and you've gone through other periods that you haven't quite done as much. So tell us a little bit about what you've done in like the in-between time to continue educating yourself, to continue moving forward. Sure. In 2016, when I graduated from college, one of the big things that, that hit me as I was working in school is, you know, while I was in college, I, I worked the entire time. I, um, you know, kind of paid my way through school. I had some student loans and I'd always been, you know, I had this IT job that was great at UCCS and I really enjoyed it. But the whole time I was in school, I never really spent all the time doing um, internships or getting part-time jobs in business and marketing and doing stuff like that. So when I graduated, I had a, was in a unique place where I honestly wasn't able to get a job. I was applying everywhere. I was trying to get a job everywhere. I just, like, nothing just would work. I was applying in Albuquerque, Nashville. So yeah, I was, I was looking everywhere. And finally, a friend of mine told me about this gear shop downtown called Mountain Equipment Recyclers. He said, I should go talk to him. Like, I love doing outdoor stuff. I'm a big hiker, big biker. Love, you know, camping and hiking and all that stuff. So I went down there and talked to him, and Mike Mazzola was the owner then. Just had a great conversation, ended up saying, well, why don't you just come work here while you figure it out? You know, that was kind of the start. And during that same time frame, you know, I was just working there, just, you know, like 12 bucks an hour, just getting by, just kind of putting my head down and working. At the same time, I realized the only way I was going to end up getting a job that I wanted was if I created that experience for myself. What happened then is I had two partners, uh, Sheila and Weed and Taylor Rodriguez, and the two of us started a company called Peak Social Insights. Um, Taylor had started about a month before I even came around, but what it became was, you know, the three of us. When that started, that was all about just experience. We never had any intention of making a pig. We never had any intention of making a lot of money, but the goal of it was specifically just to get experience. Um, while I was working at Mount Equipment Recyclers, we started growing 
that company. That company was basically what you you know, you consider a digital agency. We did social media, we did graphic design, we did websites, we did just kind of the basic level, entry level marketing that most people do when they get in the marketing world. Um, and in doing that and kind of being out there and putting that business out there, um, I got really networked in with the community. So I worked for Mount Equipment Cyclers until about November. And at the same time, you know, I was, I was depleting my hours at the gear store and increasing my hours with, you know, Peak Social Insights. You know, we were starting to get contracts, we were starting to get business, we were starting to grow. And then one really big contract came in the picture, and that was, you know, Norb Development Group. They're, you know, one of the largest developers in the Car Springs community. They've been a community leader for decades and when the opportunity came up to a contract with them we were like drop everything this is what we're doing got to focus on this we got to win this contract because that contract would have allowed us to double our staff we could have you know quit our jobs we could have you know that would have been like the one for us to pound away and really grow the business in negotiating the contract and going after that contract they ended up just offering me a job and said hey why don't you just all this money you're trying to get from us why don't you just come and manage it and come work here and work with us in building our marketing department. So I did that. So in November, I left the gear store. I left Peak Social Insights and I went and worked for Norwood Development Group. I was at Norwood Development Group from November 2016 to December, January 2017, 2018. So I was there for about 13 months. Um, during that time frame, I created budgets, ran marketing projects all over the city, built, oh my God, I don't know how many websites I built. That was awful. Um, worked a lot, learned a lot, and met some awesome people. Got even even deeper networked, and during that time frame, I got you know kind of involved again with the startup community even deeper. Um, I started, you know, my side hustle, my side project thing was always, you know, looking for exciting people to work with and partner with and be around. You know, so during that time frame, I worked with uh, I want to say three different startups. First one being Rabbit Troll Studios, which was a indie game studio that was started at UCCS. You know, I invested time into them and worked with them on trying to get you know, marketing and PR and different things. And that didn't work out, but it was an awesome experience. You're going to felt this pattern for not worked out, but it was an awesome experience. <laughs> um, uh, next one was Carly. It was an idea I had. It was the first time I ever got connected with folks at Peak Startup. I went to Pitch Night, pitched it, had a great time uh, learning about the startup process and kind of fleshing an idea and getting in front of people. So I just wasn't afraid to just go and talk about things I was interested in. That was Carly, which was uh, basically the idea was insurance, um, your maintenance, and your car loan all in one place. So you stop seeing it as, you know, this is my car loan, my insurance, my maintenance, it's all in one place. You see one number, which allows you to flex your budget better than you can schedule and do different things. So I was working on building that out. I decided to stop because money and time and effort, but <laughs> you can see all kinds of stuff. But um, in doing that, I ended up doing a startup weekend. Startup weekend was a blast. Uh, ended up winning that. Went to a different pitch competition with the same idea and won that again. I think I might have met one of you guys there. And in that entire process, just like going from being just a marketing community guy to kind of really getting involved in the startup ecosystem. And then throughout all of that, underneath that entire kind of time frame, I was helping out with the Car Institute for Social Impact. So I developed a class and taught, I think, in sp early spring of 17. And then I taught again this year in spring of 18. Last year, it was telling your story. It was like talking about, you know, what's the story behind your company and being able to give your pitch. And then this year was all about business plans. And actually, I'll be giving that class again. But doing that, you know, just getting involved and being a part of this community. And, you know, underneath all that, I was working some public policy stuff with people I can't talk about. And <laughs> and that was fun. And then um, in doing all of that, I ended up decided that I wanted to leave that job and kind of go back to contracting and just kind of see what else is out there. So when I left Norwood, I just started freelancing. I started getting, you know, social media contracts. I did some website work. I did, you know, just anything I could to get, just get the dollars in the in the bank. And in doing that, I started working with a startup called Maxletics. Um, and that was the last place I worked at in between Norwood and here, now at the NCC. And Maxletics was all about using basically Olympian 
athlete social media for influencer marketing. So you, instead of getting, you know, one, let's say Michael Phelps, you would get 14 Olympians that combined have the same social media following as this person. But the engagement rates are higher, the click-through rates are higher, the, all, you know, all these different metrics are higher. So he spends a lot of time working with them and kind of developing, you know, sales paths and marketing, redoing the website, doing social media and building sales and all kinds of stuff. But ended up getting this opportunity and doing that and I couldn't pass it down. So <laughs> now I'm here at the NCC. Awesome. That's obviously a really diverse, I, I guess you just got a lot of experience in a lot of different fields. Seeing the social impact side and community development and just a larger corporate culture as well. So kind of going back, you know, you started off at uh, Mountain Equipment Recyclers. They're a really big advocate for um, social impact and uh, change in the community. Did you always see yourself being a part of something that impacted the community and was a part of that social impact? Absolutely. Uh, the single biggest thing that attracted me to working at MER was the social enterprise model. Looking at, you know, how does how do we take capitalism and apply this um, social good on top of it to, you know, further increase the amount of money and value that goes back into the ecosystem. So, absolutely. I, I don't think I could ever work anywhere that didn't have some kind of social good attached to it. And you also mentioned that you did uh, some freelancing and contract work for a while, which I think for a lot of people studying business or entrepreneurs, that's a really interesting idea that they want to pursue, but don't really know how to jump into it and how to market themselves. So what kind of advice would you give to people who want to test the waters and see if freelancing is for them? So what I did, honestly is I would go to people that I had just met and I would say, hey, I want to learn these things. I was always honest. I never tried to sell myself as this crazy next generation social media guru. I was always really honest. I said, like, I want to learn this. If you're willing to pay me to do it, great. I'll give you a way discounted rate. Otherwise, I'll do it for, you know, one month for free as almost kind of like a volunteer internship to help you. And then if you think it creates value, then I'd like you to pay me. And we can renegotiate that as we go along. What that rate is, what that dollar amount is, all these different things. Um, because for me, it's always been more about the skill than it has been about the money. At some point that shifts and it needs to be okay. I actually have bills I need to pay now. Uh, and I have the skills so I can start charging for the services that I offer. So for me, it was like, you know, if you look at it like a U curve or a bell curve, in the beginning, it's all about just getting out there and talking to people and just offering to do it, just selling. Like, don't be afraid to ask. Maybe you can make some money off it. Maybe you can't make some money off of it. Trying and getting, you know, 9 to 15 people underneath your belt that you can actually work with and do work with is the important. You just have to start. And then find something you're willing to learn or get good at or something that interests you and just go and do it. So a lot of what I'm hearing you say is risk it for the biscuit. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So you're kind of in a unique position in terms of you can relate well to a lot of our listeners. In college, you were kind of doing your own thing. I mean, you worked at the school and you got experience there. But in terms of networking within the community, you weren't necessarily super involved yet. Coming out of it, you kind of realize like this is something that I need to really start getting involved in. So you started networking in the community, you started your businesses, really with just the intention of learning. So what do you suggest for people that are still in school? What is something that you would go back and change? I would have started getting involved in the place I want to be earlier. If you're in school now and you want to move to Denver, go to Denver. Go to events, meet people, be intentional about the people you meet. You want to work in blockchain, you want to work in financial services, you want to work in name any industry. Look up look up the, the top 10 to 15 professionals in that area and go to the events you anticipate people like that being at and be there. When I first started out in Colorado Springs after I got my, my uh, undergrad, that's what I did. I want to learn about social enterprise. I want to learn about nonprofit. I want to learn about you know this entire world around these kind of social issues. Where are those people at? Well, that time frame. Uh, it was called the Colorado Coalition for Social Impact then. 
Alec Carr Institute for Social Impact. This this thing was starting, the CCSI, and I was like, well, I'm, those people are there, or at least they should be. I was like, so I'm going to go there. And then I'd click on Facebook, and I'd look at the going list, and I'd just literally start clicking through and seeing what kind of people were going. And if, you know, like, that's why I knew Jonathan Lee were going to be there. I was like, oh, he's the guy running this. I want to go talk to him. So I went there. I showed up. I networked. And when I saw an opportunity to go talk to Jonathan and tell him I was interested in everything he was doing, I did. And that's how I met Jonathan. And that turned into a two-year-long relationship that I've greatly enjoyed and loved. I guess my single biggest advice would be get involved earlier. Don't be afraid to get involved earlier. And even if you aren't a super sociable you know, introverted kind of person, you have to get over that because the, the extroverted out in front people are going to be the ones that are beating you to the table. At the end of the day, it's all a rat race. And I mean, I'm an introvert, but yeah. I mean, something that I, that I overcame was like you were talking about just going and getting in front of people. Yeah, maybe I'm not quite, it takes me a little bit longer to meet people because I am an introvert and I, it drains me to be out in public. And so I have to try a little bit harder than extroverts. But over time, the results are still the same. It's been a great experience. I've met a lot of people, kind of like what you're talking about. You had Jonathan Lieber as kind of a mentor, yeah. it sounds like. He's and great. Yeah. That's He's exactly how I've met my mentors, is just being out in the community, meeting yeah. people, and getting involved. Yeah, well, even as an introvert, you can just be intentional about what you're there for, and that's okay. You know, I'm, I'm here to meet these four people, and that's why I'm here. When I meet those four people, I'm just going to leave. Because <laughs> I need to go recharge. <laughs> I mean, so, I won't lie. I've kind of done that at some events, so. Yeah, and it's okay. <laughs> I think that's a really great point that you bring up as far as just being intentional. Because I, th- I feel like a lot of people who go out to networking events, they don't have that foresight. They're just going there to mingle and quote-unquote chat with people and network. But actually knowing why you're there and having a purpose is is a huge uh, step in being successful. You obviously play a big role in the startup community, and you've had your own projects. Well, I wouldn't say big role. <laughs> well, at least in the springs. Uh, yeah. In the in the springs area you have been really active and a lot of people have seen your projects and the development of those when you're creating a startup teamwork and building a good group of people around you is extremely important what have been your experiences with teamwork and uh, what are your insights on those building a team is like finding your partner for marriage it needs to be somebody you can sit in the same room with go to dinner with go to lunch with go to meetings with and literally be with 24 7 all the time all day long take phone calls, text with, like that person, whoever it is on your original team, especially your founding team, needs to be somebody you're like, like this guy and I can sleep in the same hotel room for six days in the same bed and not say anything about it. Or at least be in the same room, like all the time. That's what it's going to be. You're together all the time. And I think when it comes to teamwork, being able to, you know, in terms of like qualities and skills, um, trust. Trust is my number one above everything. I need to trust that you're doing the work you're supposed to be doing. I need to trust that you think I'm acting in everybody else's best interest. I need to trust that everybody is planning on sticking this out through wherever this may go. So trust is a huge one for me. I'm a big believer in transparency. So especially in teams, um, if somebody's having a hard time with something, tell me, you know, because I'm going to tell you that I'm struggling. Or if you don't like a decision I made, tell me. You know, and obviously there's a time and a place for, you know, depending on what your leadership role is and how big the team is. Transparency is huge. And I think respect is kind of like just a given. People should respect each other. So I think as long as you're kind of keeping within those three kind of values, I think teamwork all work out. So obviously I couldn't imagine that everything just fit together perfectly when you're building your founding teams. So what are some of the challenges that you faced uh, trying to create those teams? I think commitment is a big one. And I would I would push that not on anybody else, but to myself and saying, you know, is this just a fun idea that I'm kind of messing with right now? Or is this something I actually want to take and turn into a repeatable scalable business? And, and that's, I think, something that 
people struggle with early on, especially like in the like pre-seed, like before you take on any money. Um, in that time frame is when you really start to look at each other and go, are we doing this? Are we not doing this? And being 100% certain on with somebody else that they're committed and they're going to do it, I think is a big challenge early on, especially at the early, early stage. The other side of it, I think, is in terms of challenges is work ethic. Everybody has a different definition of what work ethic means. Somebody like me, I include meetings and calls and you know networking and different things as part of my work ethic as these are areas that I can deliver value and these are areas that I can go out and generate real work from. Other people would define work ethic as you need to be sitting somewhere with your laptop in front of you producing something. And being able to balance what those two look like is a big deal. Because some because if you're a developer, you see production as where are we moving on the app? But if you're on a different side of things like in sales or biz dev, you're developing a community around your project at the same time you're upselling people on your project at the same time you're you have to be able to manage those expectations within an environment where success is the ultimate objective that's what i think the biggest thing for founding teams is managing expectations at the end of the day i mean it's impossible to get the perfect team you're always going to have people that at some point are going to lag and that might even be you so i mean we've all experienced it in school doing school projects it's just the worst because you always get those few people that just <laughs> hang on elizabeth this is do a week ago yeah no <laughs> Uh, so how do you go about motivating those people? How do you go about holding them accountable and ensuring that everyone stays at the same level? I think it starts with believing that you do have the perfect team. This is the right people for this task, mission, objective, purpose, whatever it is you're doing. This is the group. This is the team. And if you don't feel like it's a team, you either need to add somebody or replace somebody or shift somebody. And I think that's first is actually, um, I think a lot of people know don't talk about is preparing people for success. It's your job as a director, manager, leader, supervisor, whatever, not to keep people in line, but to prepare them for success. You have to let people work. Uh, I'm a super trusting guy when it comes to leadership kind of roles. So if I say, hey, John, I'm going to ask you to go and produce this social media schedule for the next month. I'm going to say that and unless you have other questions. I'm going to trust that you can do it. And that's it. But if you need more, I'm going to be here. I'm going to prepare you to, for you to be successful at creating that social media schedule for the next month. I think that's it, is, is picking the right team and just preparing them for success. And if you do that, you shouldn't have to do anything else. Yeah, I think that's interesting that you say that because one thing that's super important in leadership is always having a positive attitude. It's like the difference between successful people versus, quote, regular people is their attitude, is they're positive, they're focused, they're driven. They keep going even after they fail. Like you were talking about, starting with believing that you have the perfect team as opposed to thinking that the perfect team will never happen. So kind be, of, be positive, man. <laughs> <laughs> Just do it. You kind of touched on it a little bit, and then we'll transition into leadership, but you talked about Jonathan Lieber. He was a mentor to you. So mm-hmm. could you tell us a little bit about some of the different mentors that you've had since you graduated college and how they've impacted your life? So let's go back. Okay, so 2016, graduating. So one of the, one of the big people in my life that really helped me a lot, her name is Elizabeth Moore. She was one of the program director, coordinators, whatever, the Daniels Fund at UCCS. And she was such a mentor and leader to me in terms of how to conduct yourself in business, how to be intentional about running, you know, just like events and marketing and different things like that. And she was actually the one that um, ended up being a lot of my early connections early on. Her and I weren't necessarily like, you know, hey, Forrest, you should be focusing on reading these business books and doing this and this. But she just taught me how to be social and how to, you know, how can you be social in business? What does that look like? How to dress? You know, all these different things she taught me. And that was like the very first person that was really like, no, 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 let me help you. Let me support you. Let me show you how to do these things. And she was awesome. She just retired from success. So kudos to her. After that was Mike. Um, Mike was the first, Mike Mozilla, the guy that owned MER. 
Um, he was the first person that after I failed, instead of saying, you know, dang it, Forrest, like, you just did this and this and you're a horrible employee and I, you suck. Like, you know, it wasn't, he was the first person I ever had as a boss that like, like sat down with me, like in the corner of the room, like away from everybody was like, is everything good, man? Like you didn't do very well this month. Is everything okay? Instead of being like, you're fired. <laughs> and that was the first time I've ever been like, I want to keep working for you. Like, this is so nice. I'm so happy. Like, this made me feel really, you know, what? I'm going to work 10 times harder now. I'm sorry. After that was when on time frame I met Jonathan. Jonathan taught me a lot about what it takes to be charismatic and elite with integrity and to have values. And I always appreciated that about him. He mentored me individually on more than one occasion. That was awesome. So I really appreciate all the things he done. Fred Veach, he's one of the vice presidents at Norwood. He was great. I think he's one of the oldest, if not the oldest person to race the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. He's awesome. He, he just taught me a lot about like passion and life and how like your passion in life creates success. And so he would always just, you know, reiterate like, if you're doing what you love, keep doing it. If you're not, don't. He's like, I'm always here to help you and support you. And like we, he was, he had my favorite phrase here he used to say was, we all win, we all win together. So whenever, whenever we're ever in a negotiation or ever doing anything, the very first, like the very first thing he would say, the minute things start going poorly, is something he'd stop everything and go, look, we're trying to win together. How do you win? How do I win? That's what we're here to talk about. And like, and so I tell a lot about like negotiations and how to, how to talk to people and how to, you know, from someone like him. And then now Vance, Vance has been awesome. Vance Brown, he's a co-founder of Shareable. He's been a really great mentor, taught me a lot about, you know, charisma and building a story and, you know, what leadership actually looks like. Um, Hannah Parsons has been awesome. She's been, like, amazing. Who else in that journey? Single best piece of advice. I think I told you this the one time that we met uh, that I ever got from one of my really good mentors, uh, Jan Horsfall. We got it, co-founded Maxletics. He said, if you're all over the place all the time doing all these different things, you're never going to be super successful at doing this one thing. He's like, because at the end of the day, you get known for doing this one thing, super successful, and then that turns into you don't do 13 things successful because they've everybody knows you for this one thing, and then it turns into everything else. And he told me, he's like, I see you bouncing off the walls. I see your head's over here, your head's over there. He's like, but you're not focused on one thing. He said, get focused and do one thing and do it well. Put everything you have into it for two to three years. He's like, and if you're half of what people think you can be, you'll be great. You'll achieve more than you ever imagined. And, that was, and I would give that same advice to anybody. It's like, do one thing, especially when you're wrong, do one thing, do it really well, focus on it. Yeah. I've loved all my mentors. I've, I've been super fortunate to have. And, you know, and Yemi, I can't even, I can't even believe I didn't see Yemi. Yemi's the man. I, what a good dude. I, yeah, there's so many good things I could say about Yemi. <laughs> well, I mean, Yemi's my mentor too, so. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of good things <laughs> I can say about him also. <laughs> but yeah, I like what you were saying about niching down. That was actually advice that I took. I was like, I am bouncing off the walls. I'm doing a lot. And you start to drop things. Yeah. Yeah. And it's good because like you were talking about, you also get more free time to um, work on yourself and get better. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, especially for me, it was very re-energizing. It stopped draining me quite so much. I was like, okay, I can start doing things again. So that's great advice. And then, I mean, it also ties into good to great when Jim Collins talks about the, it's the hedgehog principle. So it's just about, number five, right? good to great. <laughs> <laughs> it's just about niching down um, and that all the best companies, all the greatest companies are the ones that niche down, they realized what they were best at, and they focused on that. Like you were talking about, some smaller successes came from that, but for the most part, they just drove forward doing what they were best at. And I think really uh, focusing in on just one thing, like you mentioned, it, it's kind of interesting because you can apply it on like a macro level and a micro level too. Something that my one of my mentors and our manager likes to drill into me all the time is in day-to-day -day activities, when you're doing something, just focus on that one thing. Um, whether it's building your business, you're focusing on marketing, 
or you know you're out with a person even a friend you know focus on that one thing while you're there don't be checking emails or pausing to stare at the wall for five minutes and just make sure you really drill down and do it. So, I mean, it's a recurring theme with a lot of successful people. It must be good advice. <laughs> be intentional. So how did you go about finding your mentors? It's kind of difficult. You can't just ask people after two times of meeting them, will you be my mentor? That kind of scares them Sometimes off. it is that easy. Well, sometimes. Not often. <laughs> <laughs> I've always personally been a big believer in being a student first and not trying to be the best. I played rugby in college at UCCS, and I'd seen my dad play. Um, I played football and different things. I never tried to pretend like I was great at rugby or that I'd done more than pick up a ball and throw it in the air a few times. So I showed up and said, I just want to learn. I want to learn. I want to get a part of this and I want to do it. And then when, when, when the people around you see you trying and learning and asking questions and showing up and being a part of stuff, they instinctively gravitate towards you and want to see what you're all about. And then naturally people want that teacher-student relationship. People enjoy giving what they have to other people. Um, that's why people teach and you know, get paid less, unfortunately, because they love giving knowledge to the people. It's one of our things as humans, passing down knowledge. But I would say in terms of how I found those mentors, a few of them I was really intentional about. I researched, I looked them up, I said, this is somebody I need to have teaching me what they're doing because I've looked up their past and they have gotten to where they are quickly and I want to learn how this person did it because I want to do that. I, I would say half of the people were long-term relationships that I never even asked if they could be my mentor. It was just always every time I did something with them or got dinner or got lunch or anything, I just like had these questions that I wanted to ask. And I would ask them and I would just like take those little bits of like, you know, knowledge away. Um, the other half of people were legitimate mentors that I actually asked, like, like, would you educate me this? Like, like Vance, um, I went to him and I said, like, after I worked for him, but about a month, I was like, can we get lunch once a month? And I just ask you questions about being an executive and building a company and being charismatic and how to speak and how, is that okay? He's like, yeah, absolutely. Like, and it, I'd probably known the guy for less than a month. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah. I was like, cool. Okay, great. That's easy. You have to ask. Yeah. Most of the time. And if you don't, then he's just, you'll know. It's like you said, being a student. And it also helps when you're actually a student, like at a, a college. Yes. Because That's then the easiest way to get in the door more. for anything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just be like, hey. I'm a student. You want to get lunch and people are so willing to just sit down with you and share their knowledge. But then outside of that, like you were talking about, just having that attitude of constant learning, of being a student. um, That's what makes a huge difference. Never lose that student mindset. With all the different things you've done in your career, uh, whether it's your own startups or working for larger corporations or in the uh, I guess, educational role through social impact. You know, what kind of failures have you experienced and how have you overcome those to kind of grow and move forward? I would say that 95% of my startup experience is a story of failure, all of them. Um, my bank is not great. It's fine. <laughs> you know, it's enough. I have a nice car and it's cool. I would say most of the my startup experience would, would be that failure aspect where it's, it's like this, you know, you get that inkling in your stomach. You're like, no, this is awesome. I need to tell everybody about it get out there and start doing this. I'm going to ask people for money and I'm going to build this. And it's going to be awesome. You go out and you're like, okay, how much money would it cost to develop this app to this like huge, crazy, awesome company in Denver called Inspired Digital Company. They're awesome. But like, they're like $150,000 starting. And I'm like, okay, $150,000. My credit limit's 12 grand. (laughs) My car's worth six. Uh, I can't do this. (laughs) Uh, And and so like, that was like the initial, like, you know, the very first thing I ever did was like that. It was like, oh, I can't do this. Or the very first time, like even back in college, 
was working with a guy and doing, you know, a fishing rod startup. You know, there's no good way to make custom fishing rods online. So we were like, okay, well, why don't we do an assembly line process for fishing rods, do a really sweet website, and let people make custom fishing rods. People pay, people pay so much for custom fishing rods. Oh, yeah. Like $1,200 starting. And we were going to do it for like 700 And I worked out a partnership with State and some other stuff. And it was like, it was awesome. But unforeseen circumstances between college and life and cars and well that died because now we didn't have any money to buy inventory and it was like okay well, this is dead great and then we just left it it's like cool cool i'd say every my dad told me something once it was a very simple thing and it, and it relates to this and it's um the first time you make a mistake the first time you do something that creates failure the first time you you know do something wrong that's okay it's a lesson you take that lesson you write it in your head the second time it happens that's on you you saw it you know you watched it happen and you did it again so why did, you know, so in this, in this related to stuff like grades in high school, my dad was like, you know, you know, you have to study before a test, right? And that's how you get C's. I'm like, yeah. He's like, so why didn't you study the second time to stop that C? And it's like, oh, no. And so that, that applies to startups. So it's like, if you, if you had this one mistake in this startup, don't repeat it again in the next one. And if it was a different mistake in this startup, well, don't repeat it in this one. In the case of the last one, for me, it was cash flow. I I had enough savings to last for three months taking no paycheck on startup. And I had a defined date. I said when that three months was up, and if I would you know, if we had, weren't able to provide create some profitability in the company, I'd have to leave. And that's exactly what happened. So in that one it should have been, you know, how can we how could I have set up a plan or done some kind of work or done you know, so So how would you say your failures within the startup community affected you or taught you something that you can apply to a more traditional career, job role, your participation within the community, anything outside of the startup world. Presentation matters. Design matters. The right team matters. Um, people celebrate you for success. They support you when you fail. But nobody actually, nobody holds it against you when you fail as long as you aren't like, you guys in the story of Theranos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So as long as you're not Theranos, you're okay in terms of failure. I mean, like VCs, they bet, you know, $100 million. They're writing $101 million checks to all these different companies, and they know 95% of them are going to fail. And it's all good. But you know what? They're going to be best friends with that $5 million, or the five, the five other companies that didn't fail. I think when it comes to my experience and how it applies to everything, I've just learned that it's okay to be audacious and, you know, and crazy and be in front of stuff and put big lofty goals out there and achieve and then hope to achieve them. Um, because people will support you in trying to do that. And then if you fail, people go, oh, it's okay. He was really close on that. You know, when the time comes around, we'll support him again. You know, just because I've tried you know, all these different times to do different startup things, people don't see me as this, like, giant loser who's never done anything. It's just a continuous building towards what that big thing looks like. Um, and that can apply to any, not just me, that can apply to anybody. So I think the biggest thing that I would say to your question is lean on the community, the community to support you on the good side and the bad side because they will and you have to believe that they will and that's something that i've heard over and over again people don't invest in the business they invest in the person like you were saying for you even though you failed so many times people are still willing to invest in you because they believe in you maybe a business will finally succeed but they believe in you they want to see you do something that you're passionate about you're gonna make me cry man <laughs> <laughs> i see you tearing up <laughs> You work at the National Cybersecurity Center, uh, mm -hmm. which is a nonprofit that works in uh, partnership with the government. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So in 2016, uh, Governor Hickenlooper went on a trip to Israel, and he saw that they had this institute, you know, public-private partnership that worked on where this nonprofit basically served the intersection of business and politics and 
uh, you know, took best practices from, you know, the private sector and brought it into the public sector. And what that looked like in their world was, hey, here's the attacks that are happening in the cybersecurity world. Here's the, you know, here's the emerging technologies that we need to be using. Here's the best practices that we need to be using. Um, and so Governor Hickelever saw that, came back, you know, here to Colorado and said, you know, we got to build something like this here in the United States. I'm partial to building it in Colorado, obviously, he's the governor. And so what happened was they had a bill. I don't remember what the bill number is. But basically it authorized the state to uh, partner with UCCS on... So UCCS donated a building. Um, it's a building at 3650 North Nevada. And about 165,000 square feet. It's a huge building. And then what that bill did was it established... It called for establishing you know, the National Cybersecurity Center in Colorado Springs at that building. Um, and as part of it, you know, a certain amount of funds were given to redo the building on the exterior, the shell of the building. Um, and that was kind of the start. And the whole purpose was to, you know be this public-private partnership of where the nonprofit was able to take, you know, the best practices going on, specifically on cybersecurity and emerging technologies, and bring them out to the public. And that was the start. And now where everything is, we focus on three key areas that kind of build what our mission and vision is on everything. So job creation, workforce development, and public policy and cyber awareness. Uh, when it comes to job creation, we have a high-level partnership with Exponential Impact, which is a, another independent 501c3 that's a, an accelerator. Um, they focus on, you know, seed, seed stage companies that are in blockchain, AI, and cybersecurity, and other emerging technologies. We had an ag tech company this year, so that was cool. <laughs> but they were also blockchain. So uh, when it comes to workforce development, we have a director of K-12. She's a PhD workforce development person. Mary's awesome. You know, that entire world focuses on, you know, K-12 building up STEM education because in the cybersecurity world, there's over one and a half million jobs that aren't filled in the United States um, because we can't get people with clearances. We can't get people with experience, can't give people with certificates, can't give people the job skills to go into those jobs because they're high, high skilled jobs. Um, so she's working on doing that in K through 12 and the part that I work in, which is public policy and cyber awareness. And so what I do is I serve at the intersection of business and technology and politics and cybersecurity and those other things. You know, it's a complicated thing. Uh, but essentially what happens is, uh, what I do is I go out to folks in the government, folks in the business community, and I say, you know, what are the problems you're facing in regards to cybersecurity and these other areas, you know, like physical security and that stuff? And they say this, this, and this. And it's my job to go backwards and say, okay, well, could we offer, you know, could we develop a use case or a best practice or a, um, an initiative or something around helping, you know, to solve the problem you're having, generate a little bit of revenue for us, and then go back and offer it to you as a service, you know, through some kind of a nonprofit model. And so that's that's all I'm focusing on is being entrepreneurial and developing out these kind of business models where we can work with people in the government business community. My favorite, most exciting one is that I get to work in elections. So we do a lot of stuff with election security and the public policy pieces. We educate government and state leaders on cybersecurity and best practices and blockchain and all these other different stuff. So you've got your hands in a lot of stuff. Yeah, I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been fun. Yeah, National Cyber Security Center is awesome. What y'all are looking to do, it's exciting to see what it's going to evolve into. Thank you for your work on that. We're going to kind of transition to just quick bullet questions as we um, transition out. So recommend one resource that is helpful for you in everyday life. Um, the Business Model Canvas. I would say that almost any business problem can be fleshed out on a Business Model Canvas. You can sit there and identify your stakeholders. You can figure out your key groups. You can figure out your revenue streams. You can figure business model canvas is amazing. You can just sit there and work any problem. Like, you know, you're a financial advisor. You could sit down and say, okay, financial advising. Okay, this is my business. You could literally start to work through all the different components of the business model canvas and help you focus in on your key customers, your key markets. How am I going after these markets? What kind of money am I putting towards, you know, getting these markets? Like, 
it's an amazing tool because you can visually see it and then you can turn each of those boxes into action items to do stuff. So in terms of strategic planning, you can just fill out a business model canvas, pull each one of those boxes, and then start working off of it. The greatest tool in the world. I'm biased because I teach classes on it. But, <laughs> you know. What is one book that you would recommend? Simon Sinek, uh, Start With Why, whatever the name of the title is. I can't yep. remember. Start With Why. Start I'm with almost why. done with it. Yeah. Okay. That's a really great one. Really talks about, like, you know, starting with why. I like how it breaks down the three things. Um, Dale Carnegie, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People is great. There's one... That's coming out that I'm looking forward to um, called The Fixer. I want to read that. I'm really, really looking forward to that. I've been working with the guy who wrote the book a lot and some of the stuff I'm doing. So I'm really interested to kind of learn about that. Elon Musk's book is really great, actually, um, by Ashley Vance. That one's really interesting. Um, and not from like a fanboy perspective, from a how, you know, how does somebody start from relative obscurity and to, you could say, ascend into this, you know, like cult icon and, and being able to break down the different points in his career where he made a decision to do something or how he turned a failure into a success. Elon Musk's first huge startup was X.com. X.com merged with PayPal. PayPal was sold to Yahoo for a crazy amount of money. In, in all of that, he got forced out of X.com. He got forced out. So he actually wasn't even working there when they sold. But when they sold, he still had like 16% of the company or something. So he all of a sudden had a payout for $500 million or whatever it was. Well, because he did all those things there and failed here, he got the payout to go and start SpaceX and Tesla. You know, I, I just love the, you know, you, you get to dig in and really read about how, you know, failure can lead to success or how you build off success. And I think that's really, really, really interesting, especially for this kind of an audience. Reading that and breaking it down in chapters and, and thinking about the decisions and like how you make the decisions, how you apply those decisions, I think is huge, especially in that book. Yeah, and I just want to hammer it that reading is so important, especially reading about people that have been successful, whether it's in some small community mm-hmm. or whether it's on a larger scale like Elon Musk. It's yeah. really important to learn from the mistakes and also the successes of those who have gone before us. Forrest, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Uh, thank you for sharing your wisdom and experiences. So share one parting piece of guidance, the best way to connect with you, and then we'll say goodbye. Sure. And thanks for having me, guys. It's been awesome. I'd say the biggest piece of guidance I have is stay focused. Stay focused, stay driven, do audacious things, and don't be afraid to ask for help. And if you want to connect with me, I guess you can look up Forrest Senti with two R's on LinkedIn. Or if you have any questions, you can send me an email at um, forrest.senti at cyber-center.org. Well, thank you again for being on the podcast. This is John Mark. And I'm Brent, signing off. Thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Attitude Check, the Business Leadership Podcast. We had such a great time talking with Forrest today, and I really wish that we could have spent more time talking with him because he has so much experience for someone his age. We really could have just sat down and talked for hours on end. You know, the great thing about Forrest is that he is such an easy person to talk to. You can sit down for 45 minutes and it'll go by with the blink of an eye. Be sure to like our Facebook page to stay up to date on all Attitude Check postings. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button because let's face it, you know you want to. Check back every first and third Tuesday of the month for another episode of the Attitude Check Business Leadership Podcast. We look forward to having you back next time.